Number one is courage. Everybody say courage. That, that's the first element. It, if you're going to change, and I just said change necessitates, growth necessitates change, change facilitates growth. So if you're going to change, which inevitably leads you to grow, the first thing you need is courage. And courage is the ability to confront the need for change. Courage only comes, or courage comes, in a moment of identifying or evaluating that something has to be done about this. That's what courage is for. That's what courage is about. Something has to be done. I, I can't live in denial. I can't be delusional. Something must be done about this. The second element that you need for change is conviction. Once you get courage to confront what needs to be changed through identification, evaluation, second thing you need is conviction. And what conviction is, is the ability to show others why they needs to be changed. Con conviction is not what we made it to be. Conviction uh, is not walking around condemning somebody else for not seeing the need for change. But conviction is inspirational. Conviction is saying, and it's really another word for passion. As a matter of fact, um, I think it's Acts chapter 1, where Dr. Luke is writing to Otheopolis, and he talks about after the passion of Christ. That, that word passion in the Greek, pathos, actually deals with death. It, it, it means something that you're willing to give yourself for. That's what passion really is. We've, we've given it, you know, other connotations in, in, our, in our secular colloquial. But passion simply means something that you will give yourself for. So when you talk about conviction, that, that's inspirational. It, it's, it's simply saying this is something that I know needs to be done. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm convicted to inspire others to see the need for it. And then the third element of change is confidence, which means, number one, I don't just identify what needs to be changed through courage. I don't just inspire others to change through conviction, but what I also do is I implement, initiate, or engage change. I'm able to lead others in the process. I like this quote, quitting is always easier than enduring, but it's never an option for winners. Quitting is always easy. Anybody can say, I quit. Okay. Takes nothing to quit. But the Bible says, he that endureth to the end. I recommended this book last night. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat by John Ortberg. I encourage you to, to get that. One of the statements I made to you last night is that a, the primary trait of a leader is one who will instinctively challenge the process and, and, and some questions that we're going to deal with at 6 uh, p.m. And, and you don't want to miss 6 p.m. And anybody else that, that hasn't been here or maybe was here last night, they need to be here if they can. Uh, it, it'll just go from about 6 to about 7.15, 7.30, cause it's actually going to be a panel discussion. And I'm, I'm, I am going to share uh, a few principles in your process with you, but, but we're basically going to digest 
what we've heard, help you to make applications, and then I'm going to deal with the subject, the leading edge, and I'm going to lead you in a 10-part evaluation process of yourself. That will be personal. You won't have to share it with anybody else, uh, but it'll be fuel for your focus uh, to help you to pursue uh, your future. But we're going to explore, uh, this is one of the questions we're going to deal with uh, tonight, why are we doing what we do? And that's a very critical question. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if your vision is for a year, plant wheat. If your vision is for 10 years, plant trees. If your vision is for a lifetime, plant people. The greatest commodity of our life, I, I, wow, is recognizing the value of people. I, I, I'm driven by several things. I'm, I, I published a workbook called The Life Plan uh, that if you don't have it, you can, you can go to my website and get it. I encourage you to get it. Uh, I've had some interesting reviews and some people that have emailed me and even called me. Uh, one, one lady who, who, who works in uh, a very high-profile position in a particular seat of government in a particular city may... Uh, emailed me, and, and she, she said, Dr. Allman, she said, she said, this is challenging. She said, because with all that I have and all that I've done, she said, nobody's forced me to have to, to make me look at what I do on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, and to be accountable for my actions. She was like, you know, I have a day timer, and I I've, I've went through Stephen Covey's process, and you know, and I've, I've got my phone that my BlackBerry keeps my schedule. She said, but I haven't thought about why I do everything that I'm doing. And I haven't thought about the balance of making sure that I'm giving time. It's divided into three plans. So there's a, there, there is a, a spirit plan or a God plan that helps you to make sure that you're doing everything you need to do for your relationship with God. There is a relationship plan that deals with every area from your family to your friends uh, to other social connections. Then there is a professional growth plan that causes you to deal with what you need to do for your own life and your own personal growth and reading. And, and then you take each of those plans and you take it from a daily, weekly, to a 21-day process. Because I believe anything that you do within a 21-day process becomes a part of your life. And so now I'm writing the companion to that, which is a daily reader uh, that will motivate you for your life, and, and uh, it's called Life Lessons. And what it is, it's 31 what I call personal proverbs that are original thoughts that I've had, and for every day of a month, for a 31-day period, I'll give you a personal life lesson, and then I'll give you a life application how to apply that. And then the third book that's coming after that, if I'm not interrupted uh, literary, in the middle of that, uh, with, with these thoughts I'm having on what I'm writing, uh, the next book after that will be called Destiny, The Only Place You Belong, and it'll actually walk you through an exhaustive, comprehensive process of living out of the design of your DNA. But that's one of the greatest challenges that we have in life is to really understand that the individual is the most precious and prized commodity. And so what I've done, not only in writing and in communicating and in teaching and leading, but also in my own personal space, I, I, I've made a commitment, Pastor Murphy, to just this whole concept 
of adding quality to the life of others. And I, I mean down to simple things. Like I, I've come up with this five-step rule now in, in being chivalrous as a man and as a gentleman. So if I'm walking to any door in any place and there's a woman walking behind me, I've made a conscious decision that no matter how rushed I am to stop and hold the door until she walks through. I've made a conscious decision that if I see somebody with any kind of debilitation and they're struggling in some kind of way to stop and help. I'm just doing this for me. This don't mean you have to do this, but it's some things I'm doing for me because I want my life to have weight on it. I want it to have gravity on it and I want there to be quality to it. And I understand that the greatest commodity we have is people. I don't tell them my name. I don't give my pedigree. I'm not setting them up for something. I'm doing it because I want my life to matter. And we have to start coming to that point where, where we pay attention to things. For some people, it may just be listening better, talking less. But, but you know what it is. For some people, it may be controlling an attitude. But do one thing in your life that adds quality not only to you, but brings quality to somebody else. Be persistent. In your notes, it says that the world is full of people who stop one question short of finding an avenue that would allow them to pursue their vision. Think about that. Think about it, and I talked about it, I don't know if it was this morning or last night, but, but about coming to a place where you stop right outside of where you ought to be, where you don't push, where you don't go forward, where, where you don't dare to explore beyond where you're comfortable. Don't allow discouragement of a few shut doors to call you to walk away from the open door that's in front of you and the vision that God's given you. And so what has to happen is you have to take on uh, the DNA of an investigator. You have to take on the DNA of somebody who's willing to probe, who's willing to think out of the box. I, I remember a pastor walking up to me. I was speaking uh, at, at, a, at a pastors and leaders conference, and I'd done, I don't know, four sessions that day. I was exhausted. It had been a total of about eight hours. It was like two hours a session. And, and I was exhausted, and so I, I'm, I'm hanging around just to touch people in a personal way, and a pastor came to me, and, and he says, Pastor Ricky, thank you so much for the insight that you shared. He, he said, but you know, my biggest struggle is I'm trying to get my people out of the box. And I don't know if it was wit or tiredness, but I looked at him and I said, who told them they were in a box? And he was speechless because he, he wanted me to engage his banter. After all of this teaching and principles he'd heard, he wanted me to get into this provincial conversation about the box. And when I asked him whether out of tiredness or wit, who told him they were in a box? He says, you know what? You got a point. I say, how many, and, and so I took it further. I said, how many of your people came to you and told you they wanted to get out of that box? He said, actually, none. I said, so why are you trying to get them out of something that they never told you they were in? I said, you know what you just acknowledged, and the reason you're asking me this question is because you've created a box on your people that they don't even know they're in, and now you're dealing with the frustration of getting them out of it, but the reality is it's not them that's in the box, it's you that's in the box. 
He was like, well, I did come and ask you the question. I said, yes, sir, you did, after eight hours of teaching. And that's you got to think about. So some of the limitations in your life, some of the restrictions that you find, who created them? Visioneering is a good book by Andy Stanley to prevent you from getting in boxes. Visioneering is like engineering. It's like getting a picture of where you belong and then engineering a process to get you there. I encourage you to get that book. I, I like what Benjamin Zander said. He's the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra, and he made this statement. He said, a vision is more powerful than a goal. A vision is enlivening. It's spirit-giving. It's the guiding force behind all great human endeavors. Vision is about shared energy, a sense of awe, and a sense of possibility. I, I just had a thought that just made me laugh with, within myself. Uh, it must have been last year at the Baton Rouge Symphony Orchestra. I, I'm a member of, of, of the foundation group for the Baton Rouge Symphony Orchestra. And, uh, and I was in Baton Rouge, and I don't know, we were celebrating somebody's birthday or something, and so I bought tickets to uh, their, their, I think it was the Christmas celebration. And uh, it was an incredible event, and the orchestra was playing. They also had the, the Baton Rouge chorus that, that was singing. And, and we kept hearing uh, this squelch, this, this, this faint squeal. And, uh, and there were people who actually left because of it. As a matter of fact, more than a few, and it was, it was, it was packed, a standing room only uh, audience at the River Center, but people actually start leaving because this, with, with as great as the sound was of the orchestra and the choir, you, you just couldn't get over this squeal. And finally, the conductor, uh, in the most witty way, flips the tail of his tux and turns around to the audience and he says, you know, in all of these years of conducting music, I've come to discover new sounds and we're sitting on the edge of our seat because we think, you know, we're getting ready to hear an instrument that we've never heard of before. They're getting ready to create a sound that we've never imagined before. And he said, there's a sound in this room that is a result of someone's hearing aid being up too loud. And then I got the thought, I said, you know what, that's how some people's lives are. In their effort to hear, they can't hear what they're supposed to hear. Because you got a hearing aid so you can hear the orchestra, but your hearing aid is not allowing you to hear yourself. You're not even hearing the sound that you're creating. Vision can be the same way. Sometimes in our effort to see what we've never seen, we're not looking at what we're supposed to see in order to create the vision for our future. And so maybe what needs to happen in our lives is, is we need to allow God to open our eyes to see what we've never seen. But in seeing what we've never seen, see what you're supposed to see. Don't be, and, and that was the most, and sure enough, Whoever it was, of course, they didn't acknowledge themselves. But whoever it was, they turned it down. And for the last 30 minutes, we'd actually endured it, believe it or not, for an hour and a half. I don't know what took the conductor so long. But the last 30 minutes was pleasant because somebody actually was made to hear what they were not hearing. And so what I want to give you is three questions to help you see what you need to see. 
Because if you want to see what you've never seen, you need to first see what you need to see. Let me say that again. If you want to see what you've never seen, you first need to see what you need to see. So let's look at what you need to see. Number one, the first question, don't answer these now. This is for your personal time. In the next one year to three years, what would you like to accomplish? You don't have to put everything there, but just give you a starting point. What would you like to accomplish? Number two, who are the people you need to accomplish that? Remember last night I talked about allocating, assessing and allocating your potential and how you identify what your potential is. What is it that brings passion out of your life? What is it that cultivates your character? What is it that requires people around you that are greater than you? So number one, what would you like to accomplish? Number two, who do you need to accomplish it? And then number three, what changes do you need to make? And that's very critical. Someone made the statement, dreams come true if you don't oversleep. So sometimes the best thing you can do is wake up in your own dream. That's actually, that's when dreams become visions. When you're not just dreaming, but you wake up in the dream. You start walking through the dream. You start investigating. The thing that makes the scripture so intriguing to me is that it gives me the opportunity to walk into places that don't exist anymore, particularly the Old Testament. So when I see a story like Mephibosheth, and, and I walk from 1 Samuel 19 and 20 where David and Jonathan made the covenant. And then I come over to like 2 Samuel chapter 9 where David asks the question, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Then I come to 2 Samuel 4 and 4 where I find the boy that's been dropped who's later honored in 2 Samuel 9. Those stories bring places to life. It brings things to life. You, you, you start seeing things you've never seen. You, and you start imagining things. And, and you see this crippled boy who's lame, but now he's got a life. Who's limping, but he's got liberty. Who's crippled, but he's got a calling. And you see him sitting at a king's table. And you see somebody, his hater, his detractor by the name of Ziba, who when David asks, does anybody know? And they say, Ziba knows. And it was funny because Ziba... He, he identifies him by his condition instead of by his calling. And Ziba doesn't even give credence to his name. He said, oh, there's one left, but he's lame. Can you imagine somebody saying that about you? Oh, I know him, but he's lame. However you want to take lame. But then at the end of the story, the Bible said, and from that day forward, he ate at the king's table. And he was lame. Think about that. I, I don't know who I need to talk to today, but, it, but in closing this session, God wants me to talk to somebody that life has crippled you, that church culture has tried to make you lame or maimed, that, that people have left you with a limp because of what they've taken from your life and never added to your life. God wants me to tell you today that no matter what it looks like on your life, the best of you is still in your life. And he said, tell somebody that I've still got a seat reserved for their life. 
that there's a future still waiting for you. I, I, I don't care where your life has been. I, I don't care what you thought of doing or have done. The scripture that I open with is an immutable truth. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the thoughts that I have of you, said the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil. To bring you to a preordained future. Romans 8 gives me great consolation and comfort. For whom he did for know. It's the word progenosco, where we get our word pronosticator or forecaster, which means to see in advance. For whom he did foreknow, for whom he saw in advance, he also predestined. That's the Hebrew word peridzo, which means to set boundaries or limitations. So because he saw me in advance, foreknew me, he predestined me or set boundaries on my life. Romans 8 goes on to say, whom he predestined, he called, which is the word kaleo, K-A-L-E-H-O, which means to bring forth, which means because he saw me in advance, he set boundaries on my present so that he could call me into my future. And then it says, whom he called, he justified, which is the, he the Greek word dekaiu which means to qualify for results. Whom he foreknew, see in advance, he predestined, set boundaries. He called, brought forth, he justified, which means he qualified them for results. And then whom he justified, scripture says he glorified. The word there is doxoxo, where we get our word doxology or the benediction or the blessing, which means to render honor to. That's how God feels about your life. He doesn't look at any part of your life as has been. He looks at every aspect of your life as will be. That's why Paul said in that same chapter, that's a loaded chapter. He said the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. There's power in your life. And what the enemy doesn't want, he's really, he knows he can't do anything about you knowing God. What he doesn't want is for you to know you. You can come to church every week. You can pray three times a day. You can fast three times a week. And with all of that, the enemy will use circumstances to keep you blinded to your own potential and you'll find yourself just surviving your next storm instead of thriving into your next promise. And God has designed your life to produce victory. Here it is in closing. There are four keys to your vision. Whew. I'm talking to somebody here today. I, I, I wish I could find you. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling your heart. I'm feeling where you've been. And I'm here to tell you that that was ordered for where you belong. Process 
is nothing less than order steps. That's all process is. Your pain, your suffering, the parent that abandoned you, the step-parent that molested you, the husband or wife that didn't appreciate you and abused you, the job that did not affirm you, the decisions that you made that were not the best for you. All of that is nothing less than order steps. And it's only when you reconcile your reality to your revelation that you start seeing results. And that's what's got to happen with your life. There has to be a reconciliation. As a matter of fact, we're going to end by praying that today. That there will be a redemptive reconciliation in your life. That your reality will be reconciled with his revelation. That what you've seen will be reconciled with where you're headed. I wish I had the time. I, I, I talked to you about Jacob. I talked to you about the fact that he actually had to fight from the womb about something that he didn't even ask for. I talked to you about the fact that he wasn't the one that spoke to his mother and said to her, you know what, you, you got two nations in your womb. You got twins, but it's two nations and it's two different personalities and that the elder's going to serve the younger. Jacob had nothing to do with that decision. But because of that, his life was a life of fighting. He had to fight in the womb because Esau starts coming out. He pulls him back. He comes out of the womb and he's got to fight with his mother who manipulates the situation to make sure he gets the birthright. Then he's got to fight with his father to convince him that he's actually Esau when he's not. Then he's got to fight with Esau because he tricked him over an unfair exchange by saying, give me your birthright because of your hunger. Then he had to fight with his very calculated, maniacal Uncle Laban over the wives that he was going to have. Then he had to fight with his wives, Leah and Rachel, because God favored the womb of Leah because she was tender-eyed and unattractive, and he made her womb plentiful, and he shut up the womb of Rachel because he knew that Jacob favored her. Then finally, he had to fight with himself in this theophany that comes to him as an angel, and Jacob then says, I will not let you go into you bless me but it was only after that fight that he finally confronted the past that stood to posture him for his future when Esau is heading toward him again and I don't know who I'm here to talk to today but God told me to tell somebody that if you're in a place where you're having to confront in front of you everything that was behind you it's because God's posturing you for what's for you it was only at the point that everything that was chasing Jacob was now in front of Jacob, that Jacob was ready to confront his future. And there comes a point of reconciliation where your reality meets your revelation. And that's what happened with Jacob at Peniel. His reality met his revelation. Everything that was chasing him was now in front. 
And when he looked at this theophany, this visible manifestation of invisible truth that he was there wrestling with, he wasn't just looking at God. He was actually looking at a reflection of himself. That's why that theophany, that angel asked him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name is not Jacob anymore. It's Israel. As a prince, you found favor with God. Because you've been able to confront where you've been, I'm getting ready to confirm. So where you've been doesn't change you. Where you've been actually confirms what's in you. Here are the four keys to your vision. If you're going to unlock the doors of your possibilities, here's what you need. Number one, you need passion. You need to be able to see something. Number two, you need motivation. You need to want more for your life. Number three, you need direction. You need to do something with what you have. Don't be idle. Don't just talk about where you want your life to be. Do something about it. And then number four, you need purpose. Become something. Father, once again, you have left us in a place of amazement. We recognize that what you see about us is so much greater than what we see about ourselves. And God, we've got to be honest with you, that, that puts us in a paradoxical state. We're excited on one end, but we are absolutely petrified on another. It's good to know that, that somebody sees that there's something still left in us, but then, Father, it's, it's awe-spiring, it's overwhelming to know that you still want to do something with us. That you don't just work for us and work in us, but you want to work with us. You really want to be our Emmanuel, the God with us. And so, Father, even out of our fears and our apprehensions, we sign up for the work. We're, we're ready for the partnership. We're, we're thankful that you have something you want to do that's got our name on it. Now, Father, we, we need your help today. The first thing we need is faith. We, we need the ability to, to maintain this capacity to see beyond ourselves because it's so easy for us to become inward and selfish and introverted with circumstances around our life. So keep our lives outward, God. Help us to see ourselves, but in seeing ourselves, help us to live beyond ourselves. We need faith for that. God, the second thing we need is focus. Help us to set our vision on the goals that you put in front of us and not look back. Yes, it's daunting, God. Yes, this is bigger than what we imagined. Yes, you're speaking things to us that's almost making us scared of ourselves because we didn't know we had all of that in us. 
But God, we need focus. And then lastly, God, we're asking you for fervency. Set us on fire. Give give us that tenacity that Jeremiah had. That even when we're thrown in the pit for being who we really are, we won't allow it to subdue what you want us to do. Give us fervency. God, we thank you for being so mindful of us. Thank you for considering us. And we thank you for your word in Jeremiah 29 and 11. That you got good thoughts about us. Thank you, God. I, I really don't know. I really don't know. how you cap a moment like this. I'm I'm feeling more than I can articulate right now, communicate. But I feel like there, there may be at least a few of you today that, that may need a place of reconciliation. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to give today, but along with making your investment, there may be some that that need a personal altar for yourself. And this altar is not about why we normally come to an altar. It's not about coming to the altar to tell God you're sorry for something. But it's about coming to the altar saying, God, I receive something. I receive affirmation. The cross has more than one meaning. The cross is not just designed to forgive our sins. The cross is designed to restore our identity. And in the church, I have to confess, we can be awfully one-sided. We'll only deal with one side of the cross. And as a result, we make people feel guilty. Whether we mean that intentional or unintentional is another issue. But we make people feel like they they have to live under the shadow of guilt because whenever we talk about the cross, we only talk about the forgiveness part. But we don't deal with the fact that the cross comes to restore who we already are. It comes to give us something back. It doesn't just come to take something away from us. It comes to give something back to us. And, and that's the issue sometimes even with church culture and religion is it, it always talks about that what needs to be taken away. But how about the stuff we need to be given? And, and so I, I can't dismiss this moment and and everybody, I encourage you to, to make an investment to, to give today. There's so much weight on what God's sharing. And I, I hope today in your giving, it won't just be a, a casual church offering. You'll come up with $10. I hope today that you'll really give real measure to what you've received. There are some of you today, you can give $1,000 and say, you know what, God, what I've just received in these just two sessions is greater than what I've imagined for my life. And, I, and you should give. The Bible speaks of it. The Bible speaks that the lesser is blessed of the greater. Paul calls on that. He said, if you receive from us spiritual things and of the same, you should give earthly things. And I believe in the power of agreement. I believe that when I invest in something that's investing in me, that it activates possibilities for me.
and those that have never given on that level, I'm not just encouraging you to do it today, but I'm encouraging you to make it a part of the process and the practice of your life. Learn how to give yourself into your future. And I'm not even talking about just in a church context, even professionally, even in your personal life. If you ask somebody for their time and say, look, I need you to help me grow in this area. Get out your checkbook. Say, you know what? I'm writing this to you. Thanks for your time. And you know what you get? You will get a double return. You won't just get what they shared with you, but God will also give you access to what's already on their life. And it accelerates your process. The testimonies are numerous and limitless. And so I encourage you today in your giving. To give yourself into your destiny. And I encourage you to make that a part of your discipleship and your stewardship. But along with giving today, there, there may be a few of you that need to come to an altar of reconciliation. It's between you and God. Nobody else is going to get in your way or tell you what to pray. But today as we, I can't say close this moment because this is a moment that's designed to stay open. But in this open moment, I don't want you to walk out of here without reconciling your reality to your revelation. God bless you today. Whenever you give, you can just set it on one of the altars. If you want to come and and pray at the altar, you can just kneel wherever you want. It's your prerogative. Thank you, God. 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 Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God. 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 letting me see who I really am. What you call me. If you feel led to go and pray with somebody else, please follow that. Please do that. Please flow into that. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. This is a day of reconciliation. This is a day of restoration. I'm getting myself back. I'm getting myself back. You've earned this. You fought for this moment. Don't miss it. Don't let anything or anybody cheat you out of it. 
God. Thank you, God, for seeing me for me. Thank you for seeing my possibilities. Thank you for seeing what you want me to be. Nobody else was paying attention. Others may have given up on me. Thank you for having confidence in me. Thank you, God. Thank you for knowing me by my name. Thank you. Thank you for a place where I can come back to myself.